Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Wow. Wow. I think Jess got out here in the movie industry and prepped you guys and the whole applause thing and like louder, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it is great to be with you. I'm DJ. If you don't know who I am, uh, I've been, uh, I'm one of the pastors here and I've been uh, on vacation this last week and weekend celebrating our 23rd anniversary um, with my lovely wife, Cami, and that was a great time. Um, I, rec I highly recommend it. Um, staying married and having some cool anniversary trips once in a while. Um, so it was great. Uh, and we're also kind of working on our son's, firstborn son's wedding coming up in October. So that's also a fun new sort of season uh, for us in our lives. But it's always a privilege to get to be with you right here at my beloved Castle Rock campus and, uh, and just share God's word uh, together. Um, and it's just a privilege to do that. And so I wanted to just ask you to pray with me real quick and just ask that God speaks to each one of us in a powerful way tonight. God, we just thank you so much uh, for who you are and for how much you love us and for your plans for victory, for joy, for peace, for life inside of us. And Lord, you've thought it all out. There's nothing that you forgot. There's nothing that you've overlooked. Uh, it's all part of your plan. You've got the complete strategy. And we just thank you that we can approach you with trust and with joy and with humility uh, and with anticipation. And Lord, we ask that you speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to every one of us. We are here to meet with you for no other reason and for no other person. And Lord, we just thank you for what you have for us. We ask that we be changed by your presence and by your word from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in the midst of our lies series. So it's kind of interesting because I posted a picture to our Facebook site with just the logo for lies. And it was like, if anybody comes and looks at our church, it's like, it's a pack of lies. Don't go to that church, you know. It's like it got smeared, you know, or something. But no, uh, we're in the middle of a series talking about lies because it is something that the enemy uses uh, so effectively many times to keep us from walking in the, the fullness of, of what God has for us. And so we thought, man, why not confront it head on and really kind of shine God's light on some of those lies. And so this is the final weekend for that. And we are, uh, the title of this weekend's message is Personalize. Do you get it? I know. I just wanted you to know how clever we are as a teaching team. Personalize. Get it? Personal lies. Okay. Uh, anyway, the lies, confronting the lies that we tell ourselves. Uh, but I do think that there are some lies that we tell ourselves that really hinder us. And until, again, God's light shines on them, we can't break through to victory and to experience what God has. And so I wanted to just kind of jump in and tackle three of these lies. Now, there's many, many more. I know that. Uh, but I believe there's three very significant ones that we can address this weekend that can make a difference in our lives. The first one of those is this lie. I can change on my own. You ever thought that to yourself? Ever heard somebody else say that? Hey, I can change on my own. I, I've got this. Now, I think uh, the truth that corresponds to that is that, hey, we need God and other people to see true change happen in our lives. Do you agree with that? I think most, you know, I think all of us would, would at least mentally agree with that. I think if we said, hey, I don't need God to change, I'm good enough, probably we either wouldn't be here or perhaps you're here and you feel that way and you just haven't encountered God's truth yet and that's awesome. We're glad you're here. If that's the case, we want you to stay here and we're honored that you're with us uh, just giving an opportunity for God's word to speak to you and to find out what it says. But God's word does very, very clearly say that true change in our lives 
requires him, and it requires other people. I was uh, sitting at home about a week ago or so, and my daughter, Ellie, uh, who's in middle school, came and approached me with her Spanish homework. And she was like, Dad, can you help me for a minute? I was like, sure. What is it? As long as it's not any kind of math, like anything past, you know, fourth grade math, go to your mom, you know, kind of thing. But it happened to be Spanish, which is good. I was born and raised in Spain. I uh, spent the first 18 years of my life there. And so it was Spanish homework. And she had a list of uh, vocabulary words and all kinds of different things. That, and, of course, if you know anything about Spanish, the vocabulary words have uh, little articles or, or prefixes that are either male or female. So, you know, la casa, you know, the house, or el coche, the car, you know, things like that. And you have to remember, if it's masculine or feminine, if you didn't grow up there and didn't learn that as a kid, it's kind of random because it's like, you know, I mean, is the spoon male or female? Well, uh, turn it upside down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can edit that out. The point is, you know, how do you know, right? It's hard, you know. Um, so <laughs> she came and asked me all these things. And so I said, so she came to one of them, and it was uh, cathedral. And it's la catedral, the cathedral. And I said la, which is feminine. And she's like, no, dad, that's wrong. It's el catedral. And I'm like, oh, it is. She's like, yes, dad, it is. You got it totally wrong. I'm like, oh, well, excuse me. Um, sorry, I thought I was helping you with your homework. She says, like, no, no, haven't you ever heard of the rule? It's called the loners, L-O-N-E-R-S. If a word ends in one of those consonants, then it is masculine, it's L. You know, and I'm like, oh, right, the loners rule. I forgot about that one. But you see, there's this thing where I was born and raised there. I speak Spanish before I spoke English. <laughs> you know, like, I think I know, okay? So I tried this with my humility that you all know and expect from me as your very mature man of God pastor, but I was like, you know, kind of had a, a bit of a me moment there. Like, I'm not even going to have this conversation with you. It's la catedral. It just is. I don't know the rule, but it just is. So finally she agreed, and sure enough, she got it right on the test, and she scored very highly, thanks to my help, yes, yes, uh, the next day. But the point was this. She approached me. She realized she needed help in order to change and improve, and yet when she got really close to it, it was kind of like she kind of reverted back for a second, like, well, I think I kind of know this. I think I know a little bit more than my dad. I think I can figure this out on my own. And isn't that the way we sometimes are with God? You know, we, we know that we need him in our lives to change and in our lives to truly see his promises come to fruition and us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And yet sometimes we come so close and then it's like we revert back to, well, God, I, can I just... I'd give me a few more minutes. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I think I got this. I think I know this. Or even when God tells us what the answer is, like, yeah, I don't think that's it, God. How long has it been since you really tried this? You know, because we're in the 21st century. It doesn't work that way anymore. And we try that. But I'm telling you, it requires us coming to the Lord to truly change. You know, if we could fix ourselves, we wouldn't need a Savior, would we? If we could fix ourselves, there would be no need for Jesus. John 15 verse 5 says this, I am the vine. Jesus was speaking to the disciples on the night before he was arrested and uh, headed to his crucifixion. And he was spending those last quality hours with them sharing the Passover. But he said this, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, talked a little bit about my son's uh, wedding coming up, and one of the things my wife wants to do is a, is a uh, cupcake tree. It's just one of those things. You know, if you're on Pinterest, which I'm not, you probably have maybe seen something like that. But she wants to do a cupcake tree with cupcakes hanging from this, you know, branches of a real tree. So I drive, driving down the street uh, in my neighborhood, I see 
a bunch of dead trees. Actually, my wife saw them, like three dead trees in somebody's backyard, but it's kind of a side yard so we could see them through the split rail fence. So I had the enviable task of knocking on the doorbell and saying, hi, you don't know me, but you have dead trees in your yard, and my son's getting married in October. And she's kind of looking at me like, do I call the cops now? Do I wait? Do I get more evidence? Do I go straight to 911 for the guys in the, you know, the white jacket things? And I'm like, no, no, no. I could tell. Like, okay, no, let me connect the dots. She wants to do, you know, a, a cupcake tree, and those would be perfect. Uh, anyway, she was more than gracious. She allowed me to go in the next day, sneak in the side yard during the day when you know, nobody's around, and dig up those trees and take them to the side of my house where they are to this day. But here's the deal. In digging up those trees, they really were dead. And in pushing them over and all that kind of stuff, I realized when I finally pushed one of them over, it actually broke a couple of the branches off because it was very brittle. Why? Because the tree had died. It hadn't remained in the vine, so to speak. It hadn't remained in that place of nutrients and life coming into it in order not just to survive, but to thrive and to bear fruit. Right next to it was an apple tree that was bearing a lot of fruit. They were all over the sidewalk. But this tree had died because it had not done what Jesus told us. You must remain. I am the vine you're the branches. If you don't want to be brittle, if you don't want to be dry, if you don't want to be empty, if you don't want to, to be frustrated and stuck and unable to change, remain in me. Let me remain in you, and you'll see the change happen in your life. Two of my favorite names for God are found in the Old Testament. Jehovah, now these are, don't feel bad if you, these take a little bit of, I, I, actually I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing them right. So anyway, here we go. Jehovah Sidkenu and Jehovah Makedish. Jehovah Sidkenu and Jehovah Makedish. And here's what they mean. The first one means the Lord, my righteousness. The second one means the Lord, my sanctifier. And I love that because it's speaking of how much we need God to change. The first one speaks of, hey, I'm a mess, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm a mess. I sin. I fall short. I lose my temper. I don't do things right. I work when I shouldn't work and don't work when I should work. And my life's out of balance sometimes and whatever. I fall short in so many areas. But he's God, my righteousness. That's part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to be your righteousness and my righteousness. So they would be established once and for all. Hey, you are righteous. Hey, you just made the cut, not because of your effort, but because of Jesus and how perfect he is and that he stands in the place of the righteousness that you and I need. The second one, though, is the other side of that. He's our sanctifier. He's the one that has committed to working on our lives day in and day out. Jeremiah, he says, I'm the potter. You're the clay. Hey, just stay on my potter's table. Let me mold you. Let me break you apart when I need to. Let me put you back together, always in love, always for your good, always for my glory. He's our sanctifier. Aren't you thankful that he's the one? He's committed. Man, he doesn't abandon us. I'm telling you what, half the time, the way I am is like, oh, man, should we just like throw this bit of mud away and start all over again? <laughs> That's what I would do. He doesn't do that. He's our sanctifier, and I need him to change. It's the only way to truly change. The good news is this, and perhaps you've heard this, Jesus loves me just as I am. Have you heard, you know, Billy Graham perhaps in one of his crusades, you know, they sing that just as I am without one plea. He loves me just as I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay just the way I am. He always has a plan to change us and to make us more like Jesus. So for true change to happen, 
We always need God. Somebody else, uh, there's a female uh, uh, lady on Facebook that just is this dynamo lady who, who uh, films these little podcasts kind of like from her iPhone kind of thing, like in her car. And it's just kind of like, hi, I'm so-and-so. She kind of has a southern accent. She is a, fi- what is her name? Do you remember her name? No. Anyway, she is this power-packed woman of God who I guarantee you, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and you're like, "Woo! hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm ready for this day. And so she was going through one of these things, and I'm kind of like not really like intentional, I mean, not admittedly listening, but I'm kind of like, what is Cammie listening to over here? And she's like, and you, whatever God says about you, that's the truth. And you speak it over yourself. And God is the God who takes your mess and turns it into a message. And I'm like, woo! Yes, Lord! Hallelujah! But it's true. God takes our mess and is able to turn it into a message. He's able to turn it into a, well, they say this too. He'll take your test, turn it into a testimony. He's able to take the mess that we give him, and when we come to him and say, God, I am desperately in need of you to change. Man, he loves that. He's like, come on in. Come on in, my son. Come on in, my daughter. I'll change you. Aren't you glad that he is God who sanctifies us, that we need him to change? But here's the deal. I want to take you to one other scripture before we move on to the second lie that we're exposing this weekend. And that is in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read this uh, very quickly out of my Bible, which is the New International Version. But it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A lot of times we look at, you know, the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and, and go, oh yeah, they got their job cut out for them and all that. But did we read what, what, what the rest of that verse said? It's to help the body of Christ be built up. It's to help us achieve unity in the faith and maturity in Christ. God is calling us to grow. God is calling us to change. And God has a plan to get it done in our lives. And part of it is pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, teachers. I kind of messed the whole order of that up. But anyway, part of it is those people. And I'm happy to be one of them. But here, let me read to you. What this says in verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Listen to these last six words. As each part does its work. Wow, I love that. You see, we need God for change to truly happen in our lives, but it's not just that we need God. I think all of us would go, yes, yes, I need God, I believe that. But guess what? We need each other. We need each other to see the change happen in our lives. And that's one of the greatest lies that the enemy is trying to convince the people of God in in the 21st century is that we can do this alone. That, man, we've got God's word, we've got the podcast, we've got whatever, hey, I don't need anybody else. I can do this. It's the cafeteria approach. You know, I can just kind of pick and choose whatever God's working on in my life. But guess what? That's not what God intended. That's not his best for us. When we come together as a body, whether it be on a weekend like this, whether it be in a small group, whether it be in a prayer time, whether it be at your work site, on a lunchtime Bible study thing, whether it be with one other person at Starbucks or, or wherever, gathering together as two or three in his name. He promises first and foremost that he is there in the midst of us. 
But that's where the power of God can begin to, you know, rub. We, God uses each other to sharpen our lives. He uses other people, doesn't he, to affect change. It's not always the change we want to work on. It's not always the things I want to hear that I'm made aware of. But oftentimes it's the things that God wants me to be aware of and the things that he is wanting to work on in my life. It says, as each part does its work, as we speak the truth in love to each other, we can see the true change that God wants to see in our lives begin to happen. And we become mature, attaining the fullness in Christ. Is that what you want? Man, I'm excited that God has a plan to change us. And we can't do it alone. We need God and we need each other. Now, let's talk about point number two or line number two. And that is this. Change isn't worth it. Change isn't worth it. How many times have we felt that way about it? I don't know about you, but man, a lot of times, my wife and I like to look at houses online. And uh, it's one of just our hobbies and stuff. So she'll sit there every morning with a coffee in one hand, two dogs on the couch sort of trying to get to the frothy half and half that's in the coffee mug. And then she has an iPad. I don't know how she does it. She only has two hands. But, you know, it's like, you know, I think the legs are involved and there's a technique or whatever. You can ask her later about it. But she's able to look at houses online and see what's come on the market while cuddling two dogs, while having her, you know, a little cappuccino and trying to keep it from the dogs. It's beautiful. But in the process of that, we see these different homes that we like. But, man, so often it's like, in my mind, I'm like, like, I can see myself in that other house, and I'm like, that would be so awesome. Three-car garage, yeah. Instead of, like, my wife's car. Anyway, one of our cars outside, while the other newer Jeep is in the garage. Uh, you know, that, wouldn't that be nice? Or wouldn't it be nice to have, like, a cool, like, kitchen nook? Wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, this thing or that thing? I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's. And then it's like I remember what it takes to get from here to there. Then I remember all the books, my college textbooks that are still in my crawl space, in my basement, that as part of any move would undoubtedly have to come out of there and upstairs against the force of gravity and out wherever to Goodwill. Who would reject them and go, we don't want your stupid college books from like 25 years ago. And so then I would have to have a bonfire and burn them and that takes time and it's dangerous. And anyway, you know, it takes, it's painful, isn't it? And it, it's sometimes like it's not worth it. It's not worth the pain to change, even though the destination is something I would be like, yes, I would love to just bling, little wand, and bling, here we are. <gasps> wow, we live right here in Castle Rock. Hey, everybody, you're our new neighbors. We're so happy. But it's sometimes the pain of it seems like it's not worth the change. The reality is this, change is worth the pain that it takes to get there. God's change, God's change in our life is worth it. There was a coach, um, well, you all know Coach Mack from uh, the Colorado Buffaloes years ago. He came and spoke at a men's meeting, and he was telling us about another coach that he knew that said this, in a locker room with a football team, he's a college football coach, uh, before the game, especially if it's a, a very uh, tight game and it's going to be a tough one, he goes, I talk to the players about two things, and that's all. I keep it very simple. This is my spiel as a coach. I tell them about the prize, and then I tell them about the price. Very simple, isn't it? I tell them about the prize. What is it that we're going for? What does this win mean to us? How is this helping us achieve our goal? What is it going to feel like to stand as victors and conquerors at the end of the season? But then the other part of that equation is, hey, we also need to hear about the price, don't we? What is it going to take from us? What is the pain that's going to be involved to get from here to there? What are the sacrifices that we're going to have to make? 
And I believe that when we come and talk about change in our lives, uh, it's the same thing. We need to know what the prize is. And God wants to open our eyes to the prize for which he has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul talked about that to the Philippian church. He said, man, I run towards the prize. I strive, I, I press on towards the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But yet Paul, as we are, was also very aware of the price and of what it takes sometimes, doesn't it? It's not always just the day of victory. Sometimes it's a lot of little deaths in the process of getting there, a lot of little sacrifices, a lot of little decisions that are tough and that are painful. You know, maybe sticking it out with your husband or with your wife when things aren't easy is a tough decision, and it feels like, man, where's the joy in this? This doesn't seem like the life of God. Or maybe you're in a bad situation at work, and you're like, wow, I don't know, man. This doesn't seem, this is so painful. It would just be so much easier to just tell all these people, hey, you, I don't think you can say go to hell, but I think you can say go to Hades because it's like Greek, and it's kind of like a biblical term. Anyway, whatever, right? It just feels like we just want to like walk away and abandon it and run away. You know, maybe you're a student and you're in school, and man, it's so hard to stand up for what you know is right when all the kids are doing something that's completely the opposite. You don't want to be the oddball. You don't want to be the one that's embarrassed, the one who's rejected, the one who's abandoned, not invited, because you stood for Jesus. Tell you what, change sometimes is painful, but it's worth it. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Earlier in that chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews was talking to us saying, Hey, don't make light of or don't resent God's discipline. Because he's disciplining you. He disciplines those he loves as a father, the son or daughter he delights in. You see, when we're going through those times where change is painful, and when we forget that it's worth it or we're struggling with it, we don't know if it's worth it. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a different approach. I don't know, man. God's asking too much. He's saying, hey, don't resent it. Don't make light of it. It's a tough process. But in the end, there's a harvest of righteousness and peace. I think when frustration comes, oftentimes it's because we've forgotten about the prize. Or perhaps we've underestimated the price. One of the two, right? Maybe we thought it was going to be easy. We've got people here that have run 100-mile Leadville races. Talk about, I just ran my little 13.1. <laughs> to me, that was a big deal, you know? But compared to 100 miles, it's nothing. But I guarantee you, there was a lot of pain in the process. In fact, one of my friends was telling me that he was pacing for another runner uh, who was running it, and this runner was uh, passing out, and this runner was throwing up, and this runner was losing consciousness and was dehydrated, and all this kind of stuff. The doctors came, said, hey, you're done. You need to be, you know, abandon the race. He kind of looked up at the doctor's like, I'm going to finish this race. <laughs> and the doctor was like, okay, uh, we're out of here, you know. We don't want any part of this. And he went on to finish the race in 24, 25 hours of nonstop running. You see, those are little decisions that are made that are very, very painful, but in the end bring change and bring victory. That's got what God has for each one of you and for, each, for me. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's a familiar chapter. It's called the faith chapter. And it talks about all the different 
giants of the faith, you know, Moses and uh, Abraham and all the different ones. And it says this about Abraham, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I believe that God is calling you and me, church, to have that mindset, to look forward to that city. When things get tough, when it's hard to do the right thing, when it's hard to stay and live a life that glorifies Jesus, when it would be a lot easier to just do what we feel like doing or do what the rest of the world is doing around us, He's saying, hey, do what Abraham did and persevere and look forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Because one day we're going to hear from him if we persevere, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. I saw how hard it was. I know the pain that you went through. I know how difficult it was to obey or to trust me but you persevered and you did it. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. And I'm telling you what, there's not going to be one of us on that day. They'll say, oh man, it wasn't worth it. Oh man, it was all that effort and sacrifice. I wish I would have, you know, taken the easy road. Man, we're going to be like, oh God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. When I was coming up to the finish line of my little 13.1 half marathon a couple of weeks ago, Tell you what, I, I, it was in town center, and the last mile, mile and a half was uphill, after most of it being downhill. Shh, I don't like to talk about that part. Anyway, so the last part was pretty tough, and man, I made, I just peaked that little deal right there at Lucent and town center, and it was like, man, I was tired. I wasn't doing, you know, there was a great fan crew, Pastor Terry and Brenda and Dan DeMay and some others, uh, that had just been encouraging me all along the way, and Mark and Sue, and, uh, but there, it was Danny was with me, but I wasn't doing the cool ways. Hey! I'm strong, baby. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, hey, <laughs> I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> but man, at the end when it peaked and I crossed and I saw the finish line, I'll tell you what, I won't tell you that I cried because that would be a totally wussy thing to do for a very manly man. But I, there might have been a small little tear because, man, after 13 miles, I was tired. It had been six months of training and it was like, there's the finish line, man. This thing has been worth it. I didn't stop and walk. I didn't stop and give up. I ran this entire thing. I ran the whole thing in under eight minutes. You know, it was like, it was worth it. It was worth the pain. It was worth the sacrifice, you know? God, like God was able to, to take me to a place that I never thought I would be, and, and it's just been such an adventure. And so that's what God wants you to hear. That's what God wants you to feel in Him. It's, hey, well done, son. Well done, daughter. Well done, good and faithful servant. Cross the finish line. You've run the race. Like Paul said, I fought the fight. I finished the race. And now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the good Lord on that day will give to those who've trusted in him. Change is worth it. What about this? The last lie that I want to talk about today is that change is a formula. Change is a formula. You know, I think uh, we oftentimes seek formulas and seek uh, ways of doing things that are efficient. Any, uh, any engineers in the room? I'm just saying, you know, if there's something to be done, if we're like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids, and it's like, we got four of them to make, wouldn't it be more efficient if one person took the bread out of the bag, the other person kind of slapped the peanut butter on there, then passed it, then the fourth person puts it in the bag, zips it, quality control, you know, that can be mom, you know, whatever. We always seek to automate everything, don't we? Ever since the Industrial Revolution. How many of you guys are thankful for the Industrial Revolution? 
It's okay. It's, it's a good thing. I'm glad we have cars and I didn't have to, as much as I love running, but I have to, didn't have to run here from my house because it's a long ways away. And we would have probably started at 10 p.m., uh, the service. But the point being, ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've tried to make things quicker, faster, better, easier, more automated. And I love that. And if I asked you this, what does a self-propelled lawnmower, what does a sprinkler in your yard, what does a really cool thermostat in your house, um, and what does uh, cruise control on your car all have in common? What would you say? What? <laughs> they can all change temperature. Yes, if you're mowing the lawn, you can get very hot. Absolutely. What else do they have in common? Okay, requires power to run. Automated. What was that? They can all break down. Yep. What about this? What about, what was that? One more. They make our life easier, you know? I don't know about you, but I've always had the thought like, man, that's one less thing I have to think about. Have you had that thought? That's one less thing I have to think about. Man, I set my uh, thermostat, and boom, there it is. And man, if you have one of those fancy ones that are like, whoo, when you approach, it's like, hello, Mr. Smith. You know, and it learns. Have you seen those? I want one of those. But they're like 250 bucks. Anyway, it's like an iPad kind of thing, but it like learns your patterns and when you leave and when you come back and what temperature you like it and it's helping you save money and blah, blah, blah. But it makes your life so much easier. But here's the deal. It's one less thing I have to think about. Why? Because I want my mind to be on something else, right? Aren't we always striving to do that? If I can get my auto updates on my computer, if I can get my bill pays to auto pay, it's just one less thing I have to think about. One less thing I have to do. One less thing I have to work at and focus on. But here's the problem. I believe that oftentimes we've used that approach and we've brought it into our relationship with Jesus. And we've automated or sought to automate our relationship with Jesus and make it one less thing that we have to think about. I don't know about you, but I've done this. I'm guilty of this. Hey, if I just read this devotional in the morning or if I just do that or if I just put this podcast on or if I just listen to that song, my yeah, yeah, you know, I'm kind of doing the things. That, that, you know, I'm kind of giving God what he wants and kind of doing the things that help bring change. Guess what? It's not going to work in the long run. Because whenever we automate something with God, he finds a way to go, Dink, oops, sorry. <laughs> kind of broke down. Sorry about your thermostat. <laughs> you know? He finds a way to mess with our system. Because he doesn't want it to be automated. He wants it to be a relationship. Where we're working with him. Now, there's tools that, you know, he uses in our lives to bring about change. There's timing in our life that, you know, that, that we can learn from and so forth. But in the end, he is calling us into a relationship. He doesn't want to be one more thing we don't have to think about because we've figured it out. You know what? I believe that when we do that, when we automate Jesus, I believe it's a form of idolatry. And God's been speaking to me about that while I was on a run, speaking of, um, this week. The fact of how many times in my life have I allowed other things to become as important or more important than him. And so I put him on autopilot. I put him on cruise control. I put him on learn my temperature patterns. I put him on auto update, auto bill pay, so that I can be doing the other stuff. And God's like, man, I love you too much to let you continue in that. Because guess what? Coming back to that verse in John 15, if you don't abide in me, you're going to dry up because I'm where your life is at. I'm where the joy is at. I'm where your peace is at. I'm where, you know, everything that, that, that is good for you is found 
in me. Apart from me, DJ, you can do nothing. And so when you're putting something else ahead of me and automating me, it's an idol in your life, and you're going to wonder why you're starting to dry up. You ever had that feeling like, man, what in the world? I just, I'm doing all the same stuff, but it's just not working the same way as it used to. I'm not saying, hey, you're a horrible sinner. I'm saying I do this. Maybe God's trying to shake it up a little bit and get our attention and go, hey, I wanted to just switch it up a little bit. I want us to do something different. Don't push play on that podcast. Don't do, let's do something different today. Let's go on a walk today. Let's do this. Let's stay here. Instead of reading that, let's read this. Instead of doing that, let's do this. You know, because he wants to be in our lives in relationship as the one who's daily changing us and molding us. I believe that when we confront that lie that, hey, change is a formula and I've got it figured out, or that we can automate our relationship with Jesus, when we see how painful that is, not only to him, but it's taking life out of us. It's draining life out of us. It's, it's bringing dryness and brittleness to the branches of our lives. I believe that God stands there with his arms open saying, hey, just come back to me. Man, I want to be that number one in your life. If you'll just put me front and center and at the source and at the root system of your life, you're going to be shocked at how much life begins to flow into you once again in every place that has become dry and has become vulnerable and has become weak and has become desensitized. I believe that's what God wants. And so as we wrap it up this weekend, we're going to have an opportunity to just reconnect and re-engage with Jesus and ask him to shine his light. That's what I've been doing. I've been saying, Jesus, would you shine your light on every one of these areas in my life? God, if I've tried to automate you and have put an idol in your place, anything, it could be worry, it could be fear, it could be what does my wife think, what does my boss think, what, is my, what do my kids think, how are we going to pay the bills? Man, if I've been doing that, that's an idol. That's something I care about more than you or I believe in or trust in or fear more than you. God, would you shine your light? Let me tear that thing down. Or better yet, you tear it down. And you once again establish yourself as my king, my God, as my friend, as my Lord. Tell you what, God will do that. 2 Corinthians 3 says this in verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as he is from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And as we begin to worship and respond to God, you know, I don't, I don't care how you do it. You can, you can stand and worship and respond that way and just ask Him to speak to you through the worship, through the lyrics of that. You can make your way to one of our crosses and, and use those things to write on a card. If there's been an area that God is showing you that you believed one of these lies, that you can go at it alone, or that perhaps it isn't worth it, to be changed by Jesus, or perhaps that, hey, it's a formula. And man, you want to just say, Lord, you've, ex- you've exposed that. You're shining your light on that. Man, repentance is, I'll tell you what, we sold repentance short. We make it this heavy, like, oh, guilt. It's not. Repentance is the greatest thing ever. Repentance is the most fun thing ever. It's like, sweet, Lord, you love me enough to like shine your light and show me how much you love me and how you want to bring joy and peace in your presence into my life. Yeah. Where do I sign up, right? That's repentance. Where do I sign up? I'm signing up, Lord. I'm doing it your way, starting now. I'm telling you what, God is so ready to receive us, 
to change us, to minister, to break down the strongholds of the enemy, to shine his light and his truth in our life as we do that. Perhaps you want to step out and partake of communion. There'll be couples up here serving communion, just saying, Jesus, man, I, I partake of your flesh and of your blood symbolically. Just saying, you in me are the true agent of change. You're the one that, that comes alive inside of me, not my own effort. Maybe you want people to pray with you. We'll have people at the back of the center aisle. However you want to respond to God, let's do that. Let's give him all that we are and see the kind of change he brings about. Let's stand to our feet together.